0: you're listening to cinema geekly premium premium podcast from premium people thanks for your support today we are canceling the apocalypse anyone uh, heard from jimmy he's working at davis and Maine as an attorney how'd you find me how are you settling in it's quite a step up for me you fabricated evidence yeah, like I would make this up. you still morally flexible? What are you doing here? Till we meet again. You drink one, drink two, drink three Long Island iced teas. But your buddy's worse off and he throws you his car keys. Blue lights, are blinking four o'clock in the morning. St. trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born. Better call Saul, better call Saul. You wanna tell the world you're in love with a girl named Fran. So, you find an overpass and you say it with a spray paint can. Blue lights start a blank and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. You'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, just a straw. You better call Saul.
1: Time to Better Talk Saul, Cinema Geekly's Better Call Saul podcast. I'm Anthony Lewis. And I'm Glenn Bove. And we're here talking season two, episode two of Better Call Saul, Cobbler, not starring Adam Sandler. Uh, Although, if I know Aaron DeLosa well, I bet he would like to watch uh, Adam Sandler star in the uh, Jimmy McGill version of the Cobbler, (laughs) because that would be money in the bank. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about this episode. So many great things happened in this episode. Let's let's hop to it, shall we, sir? Yeah. Uh, we see, for the first time this season, Howard and Chuck. Uh, Chuck is obsessed with playing a song on a piano with a metronome, which apparently he fucks up not once but twice. Um, and that's before uh, Howard shows up. And... Uh, Chuck is expressing concern about Jimmy's employment at Davis and Maine. Uh, Meanwhile, Mike runs into Price when Price is heading to the police station for a police interview to recover his stolen baseball cards. Mike warns Price that the police are probably suspecting that he's a drug dealer and offers to find the cards for him to keep Price from talking about the police, thus maybe putting Mike in danger as well. Uh, I can't wait to talk more about Price when I'm done with this rundown. Uh, He might be my favorite character on the show. I'm not sure. Uh, He tracks, Mike tracks down Nacho and threatens to inform Tuco Salamanca about Nacho's secret on the side deals. Intimidated, Nacho agrees to return the cards in return for Price's Hummer, which he intends to sell as parts uh chuck decides to pay a visit to the hhm office where he sits in on a firm meeting between uh hhm and dm i like how they're just shortening everything here uh that's uh uh davis in maine or whatever is it davis it's davis in maine right i think so i don't remember (laughs) yes it is something in maine and hhm is hamlin hamlin mcgill Uh, Jimmy then receives a call from Mike requesting he remove police suspicion from Price, which Jimmy successfully achieves by telling them the secret (laughs) compartment in Price's living room was used to hold fetish videos of Price sitting on pies and crying. It's so good, uh when Jimmy tells Kim the story about how he staged a video with Price to convince the police Kim Voice's disapproval since Jimmy had effectively fabricated evidence and jeopardized his position at Davis in Maine. What did you think of Cobbler, sir?
2: It was. <sighs> I've never, I don't know, I haven't seen a show or an episode have that kind of range. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. It was like, there's some, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, more like far stuff and, and idiocy, especially with Price. And then just that outlandish slapstick <laughs> that is the story of squat
1: cobbling. Yeah, and then you've got Mike and the tough-as-nails situation with him and Nacho, yep. where they're doing all sorts of tough talk. Yeah. Uh, and then the very serious conversation with Kim at the end. I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking.
2: Yes. I mean, it was like... It was like watching a show, and then just seeing this couple that, like, oh, they finally got together, and they're, like, breaking up. Like, it felt like the crappy soap opera stuff you, you see on CW all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, except they're very good actors, and... It's Those very well. People seem very real. Like yes. their situation, like everybody in the show may and even like Price, you know, he seems like a character, but his he seems like a real person. Like, of course there'd be some idiot white dude that would do exactly that he is what he is doing. And would be such a so unself aware of his situation to call the cops. To try and get his baseball card stolen while he is <laughs> a drug dealer, mm-hmm. and with this car, like is completely, you know, not aware of the signs that are happening around him and telling him not to do this. It's just the show is—I don't know. This episode was like—I feel like this episode is something we may be able to go back to and be like, "This is really where better call Saul took a turn." I mean, oh, there was an episode last season, like well they kind of found their own footing especially with the Mike episode like after that it definitely felt like its own show and it didn't need to be breaking bad whereas this one was about as breaking bad as it gets i would say is what's happening Mm -hmm. um you definitely see it jimmy you know having the downfall like a walter white except it's different because jimmy and even saul goodman like they're sympathetic characters uh, and they're outright in Bob Odenkirk, like who knew he had this in him? I mean, the guy who did Mr. Show like, <laughs> yeah. or or played Larry David's friend that was a porn star in Kirby. <laughs> and Newson, like, who knew? Like he was this good as a dramatic actor. Like, right. And, really and he does. He gives you like you have you can see the twinkle in his eye. Like you see him becoming Saul Goodman whenever he's in that board meeting. And and Kim, you know, puts her, her hand on his thigh to, like, give him comfort because his shitbag of a brother walks in. And he, yes. like, he just starts lighting up the room. I mean, he becomes Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, it's happening. And then it just... I'm laughing so hard. And you're seeing him come over to Kim's house with the damn pies. <laughs> and then it just... drop of a hat you know turn on a dime like it just changes tonally and it was just like a gut punch like it was it's damn good television it was really good because i i like this episode like uh, and i was kind of thinking like, this might be the lowest what i'm gonna give it because it just kind of it was wait i was waiting for a lot of things to come into place like it kind of felt like a setup episode but all the payoffs happened in the episode and it wasn't so much like direct payoffs you know, and some yes. things weren't exactly squandered, but it all comes down to uh, Jimmy and Kim's moment. Like, that's that's what the show's about. It's about him becoming Saul. Mm-hmm. And this this is when it happens. Like, now you know why, you know, if she dies or whatever, like, now this is what you can go back to. Like, okay, that's why Kim left. Like, that's why Kim's not in Breaking Bad. Yep. It's because of this, you know, what happens in this episode. And it was just... It was incredible. It really was. Because I was prepared to say, like, you know what? This might be three and a half, almost to four. And just the last seven minutes, just everything comes together. Yep. And it was just damn good television. I, uh,
1: I've seen a couple of people. I know a couple of people that think that this show is already on the level of, of Breaking Bad. I've seen a few people even say that they think it's better than
2: Breaking Bad, which I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, there are two different shows. That's like yes. saying... Breaking Bad's better than Game of Thrones, and well, Game mean, of Thrones is better than Seinfeld. Like right. they're, you know, they're I mean, they're they're completely di- different goals. They're different types of
1: shows, but they do take place in the same universe. So people are going to link them and judge them against one yeah. another, um, and th- that's okay. I don't mind if people do that. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that. I think the show is great for what it is. I, I don't think it is going to be able to. I don't want to say I don't think it's ever going to match how I feel about Breaking Bad as a show, but I've, we've got to give this show a little bit more time. Obviously, Breaking Bad had quite a lot of seasons to to build things how they wanted them built, and obviously Vince Gilligan isn't quite there yet with his characters. We're only in the second episode of and the second Breaking season. Breaking
2: Bad was really slow at first, yes, whereas I don't think Better Call Saul has been nearly as slow, but it's also because they have something... You have a framework that's established yes. that you're filling you're in the gaps. Here's a here's what kind of this episode
1: sort of made me realize that I'm sort of leaning towards those people's side though, because what, what makes this, I think I, when I realized this was a great episode was after everything was over and I was so excited and couldn't wait for next week's episode. And I realized I'd had this feeling about episodes in season one uh, as well is uh, this show is an amazing show because I know what's going to happen to Jimmy McGill. In fact, not only do I know what's going to happen to him because of Breaking Bad, they show me the stuff that happens after Breaking Bad on this show. Like, twice they've shown us, into the future even, of like what's happened after Breaking Bad. Yet, even though they're showing us the stuff that all comes before... When, the ep- when I'm watching the episodes, I'm still finding myself completely engrossed in what's going to happen to these characters, even though I know their future already, which is usually the hardest thing to get over when you're doing a prequel of any kind, because you already know, well, this is going to be this, and this, this is what's going to happen to Mike. And, but I, don't, I know all those things, and I don't care, because it's so well done and written and acted, and I'm still engrossed, even though I know what's going to happen. I know what the end is, essentially, more or less. Uh, for some characters specifically, I know exactly what happens to them and how their story ends um but the it 's just very masterfully put together this show is uh i I would like to talk for a moment about price uh <laughs> he's my favorite character uh on this show he's he's amazing mike from mike's perspective he he must feel like he 's talking to like a three year old <laughs> He's like, "Well, the police He's has- talking to his granddaughter. Yeah. He he just realized, he's like, "Why are you why are you here?" And it's like, "Oh, well, the police wanted to come and talk to me about my baseball cards and they're really working hard to find the cards." And Mike's like, "This this poor asshole has no idea they they probably found his hidey hole. They suspect him of being a drug dealer. They saw his ridiculous goddamn car." And he lays it out for him. He's like, "This is all the things they're going to do, and then you're going to crack and you're going to tell him, and then that's going to put me in jeopardy." He's like, go home. If they call, don't answer. I'll find your goddamn cards. Because Price kind of wins him over a little bit. I, th- I think um, uh, there's a little bit of when he when he tells Mike that some of those cards belong to his dad. I think there was some sort of little box that ticked off in in Mike's head because obviously we learned about Mike and his son
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, last season, and I think just a little bit of that humanity peeked through of Mike a little bit, and he's like, yeah, because
2: he was like a you know. A godlike figure to his son yeah and he get to see it in, in and price's prince, eyes
1: yeah he's like fine i'll get your cards uh and the the whole scene with mike at the uh, at the upholstery place was great even uh nacho's dad like all that that whole scene was great <laughs> i love
2: that whole scene uh and then, they know how to handle language well yes and I, what i mean by that is the way they're going back and forth between the English and Spanish Mm -hmm. and even how they have Nacho answer the questions. Yeah. Like his dad knows what he's saying to him. Mm -hmm. Um, and to me, I feel like Mike knows exactly what Nacho and his dad are talking about. Yes. And it's like, (laughs) it's a cat and mouse game, except they're both cats. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So it's
1: it's all great. He broker, he brokers that deal where he gives him the Hummer to break down and then poor dumbass price when they go to do this deal has no idea. He's like, he's like, well, you got to use the, the premium gas on this baby and don't let them try to sell you that other stuff. Like he's like, (laughs) Nacho's like, well, I'll tell the guys at the chop shop to take good care of her. Mm. And the look on his face is amazing. Like what? No, you can't do that. Uh, and God, what did he call it? He's, he said it looked like, uh, he's like, I'm not going to ride around on that thing. It looks like a school bus for a six-year-old pimp or something yeah. like that. Uh, an awesome line. And uh, the uh, I, I was like you. I was sitting around in the, the high threes to low four category when Jimmy started, uh, when he called, so when Mike calls in Jimmy to go in with Price uh, to talk to the police so Price can tell him, That, you know, there's no need to to look for my cards. I, I found them. And at first, when he starts telling them the story, I feel like, at first I felt like he was doing a bad job of, like, trying to think up something. But then the more he talks, it sounds like he's not trying to make it up. It's a really sensitive issue, and he doesn't know how to phrase it yeah that's when I realized the brilliance of this man is a storyteller and a and a crooked lawyer.' Because uh, he played it so well, and the story just got it got better and better. I wonder how much of that was improvised just because of Bob
2: odenkirk's background yeah
1: i i the romantic side of me wants to think that the whole thing was improvised. like there was no there was no script for this.
2: I would say the only thing I, like, he probably what he improvises a lot of, is the setup. like hmm. getting to it was probably more. Yeah. in his own natural words. And he'll, I mean, he's admitted that he very much so follows the script because I'm not going to argue with Vince Gilligan on his scripts, right. <laughs> uh, but you can tell like, it, you know, he's got to add a little bit of flavor because of his showmanship. And it's just, sure. and he, you know, I, you know, I always it thought was Bob Odenkirt was good. And I always felt like he didn't really get his, you know, enough respect for what he was doing and breaking bad. Because Mm -hmm. his character was so different totally of the show.
1: Than everybody else, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I feel like out of everybody, he had the hardest job. Because I think the line that his character had to walk morally was the hardest out of everybody. Well, I mean, some of Jesse's friends were
1: goofs too, but they didn't have...
2: Well, they were were
1: goofy. They weren't like...
2: They
1: they didn't have on their
2: shoulders exactly what what Bob had on their shoulders. He's got to play sleazebag lawyer, but also have credibility. Yes. Like, that's... (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm not Ben, so I don't know like, if he knows anybody that is a sleazebag lawyer and has some credibility. But I would imagine it's a really hard thing to do because they talk about, like, oh, he's the guy with the urinal cakes or the, the park benches, like that guy. But every time he walks into the room like for an interrogation, they're like, oh, son of a bitch. Like right. They just know the way he uses the language, he's going to get his client out like that. And that's just a crazy thing because they just, everybody knows, like, he's such a dirtbag. It was just a... You can't pin it to him. And. You can't beat him. Like it's it was just, just
1: a. It was yeah. It was it was a brilliant scene. He had the cops enthralled in his story. I mean, I was right there with the cops. The <laughs> yeah, are cops you kid me. Does cops... it sound like a, something I would make up? Yeah. Like like co- what what happens next? Like yeah, tell us what the videos are. Like they were just they're kids <laughs> that wanted to know what what the, what what sort of fucked up shit is he doing? Uh, I, I loved it because he he talked about like uh, that he was having a feud with his. Uh, uh, God, what Let's did he say? Call? A lover's quarrel. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. he the, he referred to the guy he was having an issue with as a uh a, God. What did he say? Like an art, an art. It was like an artistic art, dispute, but, but again, patron, like his art as, patron. Yeah.
2: But as he's going along, like you, can, he makes it much more personal. Yeah. He, and that was the genius of the stops, moment. Is... Yeah.
1: He stops being less subtle and starts <laughs> being more overt. Uh, like he stops saying art patron and starts calling it a lover squirrel. It's like he makes videos and the guy, the cops like, like porn. And he's like, Oh no, no, not, uh, no, like fully art- clothed. Cause artistic. you know, porn would
2: be yeah. illegal. Yeah. yeah. This
1: is artistic express, you know? And, and then <laughs> he, as he keeps going, he's like, well, it's kind of like a fetish video. Uh, and he's like, it's, it's squat cobbling. And like, the cops are like, "What's that?" And He's like, "Come on, you're a cop, and you don't know squat cobbling." Yeah, hoboken squat cobbling. He <laughs> comes, yeah, he comes up with about forty seven different <laughs> names for it. That's what I saying. The, some of those
2: names he had just been like making up as yeah, he started there's gotta, going.
1: There's got to there's got to be some cutting room floor stuff where there's like a million takes of just things he's saying. <laughs> um, it's like you. It's like you imagine with that TJ Miller uh, scene, scene in a uh, Deadpool. Yeah. Where he's talking about all the all the horrible things that Ron Ronald's face looks like, uh, I feel like that's what what's happening here too. But he runs off, yeah, he runs off all these names, and he's just like, "Look, it's uh he he sits bare assed in pie," uh, and you know he keeps the videos there so you know they don't fall into the wrong hands. And uh, he even throws in like why this guy would have stolen the baseball cards. You know, he's like I, to make a point, I guess, because
2: yeah, like uh,
1: he has to justify why the cards were stolen as well. Uh, but he tells the story so amazingly, and the cops just they just they fall. you got you're fucking shit me.
2: I think I mean, they bleeped it out, but those were his exact yeah. words. And he's like, Does it sound like something I make up? And again, it's one of those things. It's funny you break up TJ Miller, but it's like, and she's out of my league when he tells the girl that the reason why I didn't stand up, and shake your dad's hands because I jizzed in my pants. It's, just <laughs> like, it's too brutal to not be honest. And that's like, he just sells it. But I want you were talking about price. I kind of, as you were talking about price, is when I thinking of this price in a way. Kind of reminds me as if if Mike was Walter White already as Heisenberg, Mm. and just meeting Jesse. Like instead of them becoming this criminal empire together, like he's already Heisenberg and finds Jesse. He just needs him to make meth. Like, yep. that's that's what I feel like Price and Mike's relationship is. Is <laughs> yes. that kind of dynamic. Because Price is really, you know, dumb and gullible, a lot like Jesse. Yes. In the beginning, especially. And I'm just... wondering if they're going to have Price kind of be like a Jesse vehicle, have him turn and probably get murdered at the end of this episode. And I mm-hmm. love Price just as much as you, but they I think they, they use him just enough like agreed I, I i couldn't do it's with a, a lot whole of episode. it's a lot of circumstances around him so he doesn't really need to be on screen that much because right. he's he's maybe like what three scenes in this and he doesn't even have that much yeah. dialogue besides he's, the first encounter with mike he's used the perfect amount but it's say. you know it's mike talking the nacho about him and him having to call Saul, like who knew what he like what what did jimmy even know coming into this besides hey he's a drug dealer can you get him off they found they know that there's you know he's got a hidey hole like and he just goes in there works his magic but it's probably it and it was uh yeah it's it's damn good world building i mean it they like again it, it feels real and um yeah, I mean, I had to rewatch that cobbler scene because I was laughing so hard as soon as he goes to. Because again, I'm like, I'm like, what is he like? What is it? Okay, videos. Like, and I was again, like, porn? No, not porn. And then it's just <laughs> squat cobbler, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he <it> just whole <laughs> squat cobbler, uh, Dutch. I forgot what that one. I mean, there are so many of them that yeah. my girlfriend. And I had to just rewatch it because. I was laughing so hard that I wanted to hear all those names and just to look, and even the cops, like those actors, like they completely sell because you're right there with them. Like they're the audience. <laughs> it was just, yes. it was too good. <laughs> and then they just punch you in the gut right at the end. And it's like, Oh man, damn it, Jimmy, you could have been a good person. Um, but what I'm saying is like, we get to see in the future. And that was a good thing about how they set up Saul was like, there was such an empty canvas for them to paint on with better call Saul. And it's, you know, becoming a pretty, uh, masterful painting.
1: Yes. Um, so
2: do you, what, what do you see
1: his, uh, his weaknesses here when he's got this great job with Davis and Maine but as soon as mike calls and he's like hey are you still morally uh morally flexible and he's like yeah sure what do you uh do you, is does he just like the challenge i think it's like is a thrill of the chase kind is, of thing is he yeah is he addicted of of doing uh getting away with it? you know is he addicted to getting away with it is does he just like taking the easy way is this easier for him than doing real lawyer think, stuff what do you think it is
2: i think the thing for him is a lot of it is going to, a lot of it probably has to stem with his anger towards his brother and that, you know, who he was before, you know, Chuck kind of put him on this path of like, oh yeah, you know, be trying to do this. Yeah. Make something of yourself. Do good. Mm -hmm. And he did all this good. And then now, he, (laughs) now I forget what Chuck actually calls him. Like, you know, you're a con man. I think he says you're a con man with a law degree. that's like horrifying to him, And, (laughs) I think the thing is, and it's just anything with confidence or being a confidence man or whatever is.
1: Yeah.
2: I think Jimmy is addicted to being the smartest man in the room because a, he's not expected to be or suspected to be the smartest man in the room. Especially after everything he's gone through with his brother. Right. I mean, he, I think it's more of, he's kind of sticking it to the man, like the status quo. He is there to create cat chaos with the status quo. Yeah. And, he you know when he talks about moral flexibility i think it's and you can see it even in uh breaking bad like he freaks out with the murders and stuff like that oh yeah but when he when he talks about drugs it's you know kind of like how a lot of americans now are i mean they're kind of sick of the drug war because we've wasted so much money and we've created the cartels that's a different story on a different podcast um but it's just I think that's what it is. He's just kinda of sticking it to the man and I think he finds it fun to poke the bear. Yeah. And so far the this bear is... hasn't bit him back. No. And it doesn't until, you know, pretty much the end of breaking bad. The yeah. the bear, you know, and it mauls doesn't. Him. And it doesn't well,
1: I mean, and it doesn't even really like it never gets a chance to he escapes before it has a chance. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and this is all Chuck's fault. I blame Chuck. He tried to go straight and narrow for Chuck, and Chuck was an asshole to him. And he's like, "Fine, you want me to be slipping Jimmy? I'll be fucking slipping Jimmy." Uh, <laughs> and he goes does. the whole. Uh, to before we go on to uh, the scores, Glenn, uh, for your edification, uh, squat cobbler, Hoboken, Hoboken squat cobbler, full moon pie, <laughs> b- Boston cream splat. <laughs> Uh, Simple Simon the Ass Man and Ditch Apple Ass <laughs> Those are <laughs> those are the lines that he used Squat Cobbler, Full Moon Pie Boston Cream Splat, Simple Simon the Ass Man You guys haven't heard about this? What was the last one? Ditch, ditch Apple Pie? Ditch Apple Ass <laughs> Jesus Boston uh, Cream Splat uh here's the thing. I I'm going to let you score the show first. I'm not sure what to give it. Part of me wants to give it full marks. Uh I know it took the show a little bit to get there and I know it almost entirely heavily relies on uh from Jimmy's speech onwards. There were other great moments to be to be sure, but
2: uh I don't know. So what would you what would you give Cobbler? I'm I'm going to give it the full 5 because it's one of those things kind of like when i was watching midnight in paris mm-hmm. i was like oh this is okay and then it ended and i was like wow that was a really good movie and i had a lot of things to say uh and that's how this episode felt like it was i wasn't appreciating it as i was watching it or you know you're <laughs> or jackie brown you know you don't appreciate it when you're watching it but you give it a couple weeks or a couple of days and you start thinking about like man that was really good mm-hmm. and that was like this episode like the more we talked about it, the more I appreciate the other things that set up what happens at the end. Um, right. Because even that scene that Jimmy has in the conference room is really good. I mean, it's not even just him, but it just the inner dynamics with Kim. And even the beginning with Howard, when he just keeps saying, well, I didn't get in the way. And I think that's his way, kind of, the only way he can show some rebellious attitude towards chuck because i think he's very much so on jimmy's side he probably wouldn't want to make him partner in that kind of thing but i think he's willing to give jimmy a chance because he sees the potential like there's a lot of good that could be done with jimmy he also is aware of uh the really shitty things jimmy can do because all of jimmy's anger the first scene was you know directed towards howard right well i mean chuck chuck did ask If
1: Chuck did ask Howard if he had potential to make partner at Davis and Maine, I think Howard did say like he's on the road or something like he could make a partner. So, and then that's why Chuck really wanted to go. He said when they, when they ran into each other, he's like, you know, I just wanted to bear witness. Like he couldn't believe his ears or his eyes or, uh, (laughs) had to see it with his own two eyes. Couldn't believe his ears had to see it with his own two eyes. um, and uh, yeah, I uh, and I like everything about the Jimmy and and uh, Kim relationship, like how he's doesn't know what to say when his brother is there, he loses his, loses his uh, train of thought, and she puts her hand on his leg to kind of steady him, and then
2: well, even starts... when they're smoking in the parking lot, yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'm going between Santa Fe and Albuquerque a lot, maybe I'll move here, and then she starts saying we, and then he starts saying we, yeah, and you kind of see a it look, it's like. Oh, she's going. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. And they just kind of go along together, and it's not uh-huh. even so much like I don't know. I still view them as I guess it's different because a lot of times when you see couples on TV, uh, besides like you're the worst, where they seem like they're like they're friends, and that's what this seems like—they're best friends that also happen to be in love with each other. Right. And I think in television, that's a really rare thing to see. It's either oh boyfriend a couple of dates we're in love blah blah blah, um, and that I guess in some respects it's because I mean, it's not as goofy or zany it's played more straight but it's a lot like Nick Miller and uh, Jessica Day's relationship and new girl like it's a lot like that like there's there's some foundation set to where you can see where they you know they really just care for each other and I guess you just don't really get that in shows and that's what's really nice about their relationship is. It feels really. I mean, it feels real because the circumstances are really mundane, but mm-hmm. they're important.
1: Agreed. Uh,
2: I don't think I scored this. Uh,
1: I'm. am I'm gonna. I'm gonna... Sorry. I got really long-winded this episode. I apologize. No, I don't blame you. This is a great episode. Uh, you, you won me. I was hovering. I think I was in the. I was—I think I was gonna say four and three quarter, but I think I'm gonna give it all five as well. Because when you—it it did take a little bit to get going, but when you put it all together, and you're right, they do so many different things in this episode, and tonally it—it—it it, it shifts, but it's not like the weird jarring thing uh, that you see in like some movies uh, that might remain nameless. There, it does happen. Uh, but it didn't happen here. They they managed to do a variety of different things in different ways, and it all went together and it worked. And it's great. And this episode is awesome. Uh, I hope the next episode can live up to it. It's so difficult to give perfect scores to these shows because, especially this show, because everything is so great. I don't think we gave I don't think we gave anything last year below a four. I don't think we did either. <laughs> so uh, it's doing it again. Uh, and I'm always worried when I give something such a high score.
2: I mean, I've heard this season's even better from people who've seen screeners of it. Right. And I think they—they they said I think I've heard some screeners say they've watched up to four, and they all say like it's—it's it's amazing what Bob Odenkirk does in this show. Like, who the fuck knew?
1: <laughs> I'm su- I mean, I'm super. I'm super excited. Uh, yep. I'm super super excited. Uh, all right, so we will return next week to talk Better Call Saul season two, episode three, called Amarillo or Amarilla. Do they say Amarilla in Texas?
2: Um, I've only heard it say Amar. I mean, I say Amarillo. Okay. Sa- I think George Strait says Amarillo by morning. Sas- Sas- Sasparilla. Who knew there was Sars- a homeless guy sleeping in there?
0: Trapped in your creepy van You stay real cool And tell them you're their ice cream man But all that crying Just gave you away Who you gonna call to skip a prison stay Saul, Saul, you better call Saul To fight like for your rights when your back's to the wall stay to the man justice for all. You better call Saul You best call now